Now, our first witness this morning is Butch. Well, when the fight broke out, I got stabbed in the back, and I, I pulled my knife and hit him. That was the first person I ever killed. Butch Crouch was a hell's angel who'd murdered people and then rolled over and became a government witness. He was giving up details of this crime only somebody that was there would have known about. What good's a man? In his right hand, he had an automatic handgun and blood over his chest. What exactly happened here? Two people were murdered. A house was set on fire. Because of Crouch, I've been hiding in the witness protection program for most of my life. But I'm done hiding. From C-13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13, welcome to Relative Unknown, a new podcast about the stories and family we can't escape. Download Relative Unknown for free now on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. So other than friends and family, there's nothing that puts a smile on my face like this film festival that I started back when I was in high school. I'd make these short films, if you even can call them that, with some of my friends. We would take it really seriously, but we had nowhere to play them other than my parents' basement. So I started a high school film festival, and along with my high school teacher and now the festival director, Tom Oliva, in addition to some other great people, this festival has grown into the All-American High School Film Festival, but it's really worldwide. It's the largest high school film festival in the world. Once a year, we have thousands of students from over 30 countries and all over America to see their short films played at the biggest movie theater in the country. Over the course of the weekend, we give over $400,000 in scholarships and prizes. So now, to be clear, I don't make a penny off of this festival, but what I am doing is looking to hire a new person who would, well, you know, make well more than a penny Uh, as the festival has grown. So have jobs at the festival, which is why we'll be using ZipRecruiter to find a new staff member. And if you're hiring, I'd really suggest that you do this as well for three simple reasons. One, ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Two, ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. Three, it is no wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners, just you guys, can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. Totally free. Free as it gets. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash WRH. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash WRH. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash WRH. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So we actually uh, finished, recorded, and edited this episode, uh, and then a few hours later it was announced that Chris Christie has uh, been signed as an ABC political news uh, commentator. And I think when you listen to the following episode, you will see why it should be no surprise and is classic Chris Christie that, of course, he's going to become an ABC News commentator. And, of course, he's doing it and signing up. And it's being announced the day of 
Donald Trump's first State of the Union. I knew that there was really only one way in which we could start the reaction episode to The Lone Wolf, the story of Chris Christie and Bridgegate. And that is this right here. Sit down and shut up. This is who I am, and this is who the people elected. Did I say on topic, are you, are you stupid? Get the hell off the beach. I'll tell you. There's about a thousand things I'll do tonight. Going to dinner with you is about number thousand and one. Damn, man, I'm governor. Could you just shut up for a second? I love getting calls from communists in Montclair. Communists in Montclair. You know, You're a bully, governor. After you graduate from law school, you conduct yourself like that in a courtroom, your rear end's going to get thrown in jail, idiot. Somebody like you who doesn't know a damn thing about what you're talking about, except to stand up and show off when the cameras are here. I've been here when the cameras aren't here, buddy, and done the work. Sit down and shut up. The thinnest-skinned guy in America. Do you want to hear the answer or don't you? I'll ask you where you send your kids to school. Don't bother me about where I send mine. This is just another hack who wants five minutes on TV. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. You know, you should really see me when I'm pissed. Welcome to What Really Happened. Produced by Cadence 13, Seven Bucks Productions. My man and workout partner, Dwayne Johnson, Danny Garcia, and the absolutely fabulous Brian Gewertz. This is the reaction episode to The Lone Wolf, the story of Chris Christie, and more specifically, Bridgegate. If you haven't listened to the original episode, The Lone Wolf, I would definitely do that first. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to our podcast, What Really Happened, and you'll be able to listen to all of season one. As you may recall, the characters in this Shakespearean story were hard to believe. The Lone Wolf, Phony Baroni, The Fixer, Smoke, and so many more. Today, we catch up with journalist Matt Katz, who literally wrote the book on Christie, and get his reaction on the episode. It was not just about Bridgegate. It was about um, this uh, sort of naked ambition that it seemed like uh, he didn't care about New Jersey anymore and was just running for president. I'll also be speaking with Sal Rizzo, who works at the Washington Post, is a reporter and the deputy fact checker. Quinnipiac. University, a very reliable and trustworthy poll, for example, they will tell you that he is the most disliked governor, the least uh, favorably viewed governor since the advent of polling in the 11 states that they poll. So I know a lot of listeners are wondering, did David Wildstein or AKA the lone wolf, the guy that I believe uh, was instrumental, I I don't just believe it is a fact, he will tell you, uh, was instrumental in orchestrating Bridgegate, the closing of the biggest bridge in the United States, uh, that he did it along with Chris Christie. Uh, If you listen to The Lone Wolf in our season one original episode, obviously you know who he is. Did he reach out? Uh, Well, I reached out to him on Twitter. I started following him. He then followed me back. We exchanged briefly some direct messages on Twitter, which is sort of like texting on Twitter. Uh, He was aware, I think, or or I let him know, uh, knowing that he was a huge baseball fan, that I had directed an ESPN movie called The Zen of Bobby V. And so that immediately gave us a uh, something to kind of bond over, if you will. And uh, he, I gave him my phone number. He called me up a few weeks later. We talked for about an hour 
he, I would say, is a uh, pretty self-aware guy, knows what's been said about him. Uh, I don't think he's like one of these delusional, thinks he was doing something for the right reasons. Uh, he didn't say this. That's my guess. What we talked about for 98% of the time was uh, baseball and what uh, he's been up to. But he uh, said I was I could say that, uh, but that he didn't want to talk at all about the podcast, didn't even say or wouldn't say whether or not he listened to it. Uh, he may have even thought I was secretly recording, which I don't do. Uh, but either way, that is really the the update. And maybe in the coming months or even years, we'll be able to do an on-the-record interview. But regardless, David Wildstein and I have been in contact. And I think there's, there's more to come. The lone wolf will strike again. But that's the update for now. Let's start with something that happened after Bridgegate and not too far after Christie bowed out of the Republican primary. I wasn't that surprised when he endorsed Trump, because all of his life, Christie, and I think he'd acknowledge this, has been somewhere between interested and totally obsessed with being in the action. In elementary school, he forced his parents to take him to a PTA meeting. When the local diner didn't treat his friends fairly, he negotiated a strike. In high school, he was the captain of the baseball team. In college, he was writing editorials for the school newspaper and running for college state office. He'd set up phone banks trying to reach out to Senator Joe Biden. He'd go on to raise enough money to put himself on the radar for Republicans, raising enough money for the GOP to get attention and get himself appointed to be the U.S. attorney for the District of New Jersey. He ended up becoming governor. And when Sandy hit, Christie was going out every day, talking to the people, embracing people, embracing President Obama when he got off that plane. Chris Christie was always ready to be in the spotlight when asked if he'd be on any of the Sunday shows. Christie loves the action. And what's wrong with that? I kind of find it fascinating. He's a bully for sure. He can be Machiavellian in his tactics and downright brutal to many. But if you can avoid judging the man, it's interesting to study a person that thoroughly loves being in the action. More than anything, that was my takeaway. I recently saw former New York Governor David Patterson on a subway, and I was thinking about him as it relates to Christie. It only made me realize more Christie's love for the action. Patterson was sitting next to, I think, his wife, and nobody was bothering him. Or maybe nobody really knew who he was, much less that he was there. Kind of astonishing when you think of what would happen if Christie hopped on a subway. Chris Christie falls into that Bill Clinton arena of just loving the game. Unfortunately, the game is corrupt, and that's obviously no secret. And both have had issues when it comes to transparency. One was impeached. The other, Christie, nearly thrown out of office, left with the worst approval rating since, well, ever. What will happen next to Chris Christie will be fascinating. He loves the game, so don't expect him to go away. If he does end up getting paid at a big law firm on a board or consulting, maybe he works quietly for a bit, but it won't be long before the former gov reappears in our lives. The closest I've gotten to interviewing Chris Christie is his press secretary, Brian Murray. We've reached out three separate times without a response. 
We've also made a wide reach to all of our PR contacts for anyone handling Christie's crisis management and didn't get a reply on that front either. So it goes. I actually think Christie would enjoy an interview with me. I don't have a political agenda. I'm a fairly nice guy. I'm not looking to go after him. And a person I did want to make sure I speak with in more depth than even really the first time was Matt Katz. And if you don't know Katz's work, he's written about politics for Washington Post, New York Times, New Republic, Politico. And in 2015, Matt and his team from WNYC won a Peabody Award. Man, I got to get a Peabody Award for their coverage of Christie and the Bridgegate scandal. In 2016, Matt's biography of Christie, American Governor, Chris Christie's Bridge to Redemption came out. And he's also spoken uh, at a TED Talk. Man, how do you get a TED Talk booking? Anyway, um, before covering the State House in Trenton, Katz was uh, reporting in Afghanistan. And I remember him telling me he thought, boy, this uh, new assignment in New Jersey is going to be lousy and boring. Uh, and boy, did that turn out quite differently. Here's my conversation with Matt. The first thing that I'm going to make very clear in the uh, reaction podcast is that I uh, I emailed you or on Twitter or I think you email after uh, it, this podcast Lone Wolf aired and you thought it was great and then of course of course one thing that you brought up very <laughs> kindly and gently and not in a uh, not in a you know mean or angry tone at all of course I got your fucking book title wrong. So let's be very clear. It's American governor, Chris Christie's bridge to redemption, Matt Katz, K A T Z. (laughs) And I could not, and I'm being serious here, could not recommend it more. The podcast would be impossible. That episode without, without it and you. So I apologize for getting the title wrong. That was a idiotic mistake. That, that that's quite okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. America's governor and American governor are extremely close. It is a totally understandable mistake, but I figured if you were going to mention mention it again, might as well. Yeah, give no, the correct I, name so it can pop up on people's Amazon search. Yeah, and again, I'm going to note here and put it in the episode. You didn't ask for me to do that or anything. It was more like an FYI. So in uh, exactly. Amazon and, and everywhere else. Um, but as you best recall, was did the podcast itself seem accurate, fair? Did you have any sort of reaction to it? Did you stop listening to it after 10 minutes? No, I listened to the whole thing. I thought it was, um, yeah, it's totally accurate and fair. Um, I uh, thought your conclusion at the end, um, I, I feel like the plurality of people who know everything that happened, that's a similar conclusion that they have have come to. So I thought that was reasonable and and compelling. My opinion, Christy knew. I can nearly picture it. And I'm stereotyping, but that's what makes this all the more worse. What Christy did was double down the awful characterization of the New Jersey politician that he was so proud to say wasn't him. My picture is of him ordering the bridge closing by the same way a mobster orders a beatdown or a killing in a movie, by never actually saying yes, in a badass sort of way. Sick and disturbing, perhaps I'm making light of it, but badass nonetheless. The consigliere, in this case a woman of four who's about to be slut-shamed, asks if the gov wants to make the hit. The lone wolf is waiting for the green light. 
In the back of the black car, the gov looks out the window. The shadows of the trees perfectly fall on his face. You can hear a light breeze. Maybe they're driving near the Hudson River. He looks out on the waves. You know, he wasn't a kid too long ago. A kid with the family on the Jersey Shore. But it's not time for that. Not right now. The gov sighs. It's time for something else and he knows it. The gov turns his head away from the window and makes eye contact with the consigliere. He holds a beat longer than usual and then looks back out of the window. That is the yes. That is the green light. That extra beat of silence gives Bridget Kelly the green light to tell Wildstein, who then tells Baroni, and then by Monday morning, forget about it. That's how I see it. And I bet, legally speaking, that's how Christie did it and why he was never in court, not once. Don't forget, he is a lawyer and he knows how the system works. The Gov never actually said the words, okay, do it. In fact, he didn't even put the plan in place, but he set a culture, a culture that was so defined and so ruthless that words weren't necessary. A culture in which it takes about two seconds to realize the lone wolf is the one who Kelly would call on to execute this madness. Because only a lone wolf can be given a job that didn't exist until he arrived. Only a lone wolf can come out of the woods without a resume and get the $250,000 gig. Only David Wildstein. With that said, only a local traffic reporter could have helped unravel this. Only local reporters. Without the Road Warrior, I really don't know if I would be sitting here right now talking about Bridgegate and asking what really happened. I think it's also interesting that um, it, you were able to boil, all boil it down to an hour. I feel like I spent, um, I wrote 130,000 words about it in just a book and then articles and uh, radio stories. I wrote like hundreds of thousands of words about this thing that you were able to succinctly uh, tell the story of within an hour. So kudos to you for that. Well, in fairness, you write about his life and give a lot more. That's true too. It lot. wasn't just about Bridgegate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's, while, while we're, you know, I just, this just, uh, just remember this. There's yeah. been a bit of a interesting turn with one of the Bridgegate characters that seems like now would be an appropriate time to mention to you. Yes, please. Um, Bill, Bill Stepien. Mm-hmm. AKA oh, Smoke. Exactly right. Um, he not he not only got invited, um, but he showed up to Governor Chris Christie's last Christmas party at the governor's mansion in New Jersey. Oh, oh interesting! A couple weeks ago. Man, the gall these guys. Which have. is fascinating for so many reasons. First of all, um, that's the very mansion where Christie huddled with his top advisors the morning that the time for some traffic problems smoking gun email came out, where he decided to go ahead and fire Bill Stepien. Right. And now, four years later, Bill Stepien is in the White House. He's Donald Trump's uh, political director. He helped get Trump uh, elected. In fact, he was of critical importance because he was in charge of a couple of those uh, Midwestern swing states that that Trump won so narrowly. Mm -hmm. And uh, now he's in the White House, and he got invited um, to the governor's um, Christmas party, which is uh, also also amazing, um, because he was stepping was in charge of the unit that, um, of course, was giving out carrots to politicians who 
were favorable to the administration and punishing politicians who were not favorable to the administration, like the mayor of Fort Lee. And he was the campaign manager when Bridgegate went down for Christie's uh, re-election. Um, and he um, was apparently aware of the Wildstein's plan, according to Wildstein's sworn testimony, um, that he he knew that Wildstein had this idea of closing uh, uh, lanes to the George Washington Bridge uh, way before it ever happened. So if that's the case, then and and if if this is the scandal that brought down Chris Christie, then why would Christie bring him to a Christmas party and bring him to a Christmas party where several aides and other Christie loyalists were there whom had told investigators some negative things about Stepien, and even testified against him? Uh, so it was fascinating that the governor thought it was appropriate to bring Stepien back to the governor's mansion, but he did uh, for a Christmas party, and I'm told uh, Stepien brought a date. Um, and, 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 you know, the, my only conclusion from that is that Stepien now is in the White House. Uh, Chris Christie wants to get to the White House in some way, whether attorney general in the Trump administration, chief of staff, and uh, he wants to maintain allies and friendships there. And for Stepien, it was probably somewhat redemptive to go back to the place where he his career was initially derailed and uh, and bring a date and, you know, get the glad hand with uh, some of these people, some of these people whose uh, careers were derailed by Bridgegate. Quite amazing. My instinct is that it plays into where Christie is in life right now, which is seems to be between that and Beachgate, he's kind of like, I don't give a shit. Like, isn't that yeah. a terrible political move to bring it? Wouldn't one say, yeah, probably not a great idea to invite him to the white. It's like, it's like beach, the him going to the beach when it was closed. It just seemed like such an obviously dumb thing to do. Uh, but yeah, I see what I, I you're saying. Actually, there is a political. Yeah. There's a political reason to say fuck. You know, forget about this Jersey mess. Let's become boys again with Stepien. Right. Right. Um, I, I and I don't read Bridgegate, uh, Beachgate. Excuse me. That way. I, I don't. I think he. Um, I think he would have done that earlier on in his career. Oh. Um, he would thumb his his nose at you know at suggestions that he didn't deserve all the accoutrements that come with being governor. Oh, right. You uh, talk so about, he would right. take helicopters places and he brought his state troopers uh, to Iowa to campaign for president. And he accepted gifts uh, from people like Dallas Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones. Right. I mean, he, um, he thought the perks were part of what he, what was deserved. And the part of the, one of the perks is that he gets to have a gubernatorial beach house and sit on the beach uh, with his kids on July 4th weekend, even if nobody else uh, on that beach can be there. So I, I actually thought it was uh, not a change in the governor's perspective, right. uh, Beachgate. I thought it was consistent. Right. Uh, what a good point. Um, who was the date that Smoke brought? Somebody told me her name, but I don't know who 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 it was. Uh, no, fair enough. I don't want to. Suffice it to say, it was not uh, Bridget Kelly, the woman yeah. who you went there, who, who, who Mac uh, Katz went there. I wasn't going to well, do it. <laughs> you know, the governor's office, uh, $10 million investigation that 
told the world that they were dating went there first. Right. So unbelievable. Um, and 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 their, her appeal obviously is is coming up. Uh, so we'll see what we'll see where Bridget Bridget ends up. Um, but looks like you know she's, she's obviously facing some prison time. What is a and I'm trying. I don't want to make. What is an accomplished? What does an accomplished journalist such as yourself, an author, uh, make of make of programs such as even this podcast, where people are uh, such as myself are not journalists, but are telling stories about real events, real people. Uh, maybe some element of, of citizen journalism. Uh, like what I've found interesting about the process on my end is how uh, people have, and I'm very quick to correct them, but will will term me as a journalist. And I, I have far too much respect for real journalists, such as such as yourself, uh, to ever make that claim. Is it uh, is it something that you're always aware of or want to point out or be careful of in that it is that journalism is so important now. I mean, people, I think always have a tendency to say now more than ever, but journalism is always important. And now we have a lot of people such as myself that come across as journalists. How can we be more careful in making sure the goalposts are properly aligned? That's a good question. I mean, there is a difference. Um, there is a difference between, you know, getting uh, paid to, you know, sit in a courtroom all day um, uh, or to go out and knock on doors and make phone calls and pursue things that maybe don't go anywhere. Um, there is a difference between that kind of journalism and then, you know, comment, comment, commentating on the news or, or curating it and offering a unique perspective. Um, but things are so incredibly, incredibly blurred right now that I, I don't know how you make a distinction. Um, I don't know how any, how people can be even expected to really make a distinction anymore. Um, I, I don't think you do a disservice to the profession for sure, but it's certainly um, others who, who uh, portray themselves as journalists are doing a disservice to the rest of us um, and to the national conversation by not uh, being straightforward and 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 truthful, uh, and are saying they're practicing journalism when they're just you know pushing nonsense and conspiracy theories uh, on podcasts and Twitter and wherever else. Um, at least you're you're relying and respectful of uh, the actual you know journalism that's going on. So you you are certainly not part of the problem. How I I, I mean I I feel confident I know the answer to this, but it's something that I got a lot. People still couldn't understand, and maybe you could be more articulate than I, how Christie never testified, how Bridget Kelly, um, uh, Baroni, uh, uh, either of their lawyers found a way, or investigators for that matter, to get him to publicly testify. I got that a lot. Like They understood that he, that investigators spoke with him for what I think like five hours or something, didn't really find anything there apparently, but that seemed to miss like really mystify people. Yeah. I mean, well, I guess they, he didn't need to because the prosecutors got their convictions without him. Um, so that, that's one reason, uh, that he didn't have to testify before the actual, in the, in the, the federal 
court, the criminal case. But uh, I guess I if Bridget, if, he, if Bridget Kelly is saying Christie knew and was a part of the plan, wouldn't it be in their interest to call him up to the stand? I, I thought it might be too, but apparently they were able to get a conviction without it. So um, I guess they, they didn't think so. I mean, part of what the one concern might have been is that, um, you know, the, the having uh, somebody that famous in the courtroom and somebody that good on his feet and somebody who's, who could have theoretically, you know, really taken on the, the prosecutors who were cross-examining him, um, I think that might have uh, um, been... Uh, problematic for the prosecution. Um, I guess the the defense could have. Yeah, that's what I mean. Why not there. the defense? Why not the defense? Um, that might have undercut uh, um, their arg- their arguments in in some way um, about not having any. You know, Bill Baroni said he had no idea about any of this. Right. Um, at the time of the, I, I. I at the, even at, when he was like testifying before the legislature, um, it's hard to imagine that Christie would have necessarily re- refuted that suggestion. Um, but he certainly, uh, and and he certainly would have um, been negative towards Wildstein, which would have helped the defense. Um, so while he's just too much of a maybe, wild card, it I sounds like in some way. Yeah, I, I I don't know why the def- maybe the defense should have called him. I mean, in retros- retrospect. <laughs> retrospect yeah. In retrospect, they, they certainly should have, if considering. Um, but maybe, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I started to answer that question. I can answer it for the prosecution, but I, I don't know for the defense. Yeah. So I snore a lot. And there is now a bed that exists that can adjust itself so that my snoring isn't as devastating. My question for you would be, does your bed do that? These sleep number beds are so smart. And that's right. I just, I just said it. These beds themselves are smart that they can sense your every move and automatically adjust for you, keeping you sleeping comfortably throughout the night. It's unbelievable. The sleep number beds start at $899.99. And because it's the Super Bowl, in honor of 52 years of football's favorite Sunday, they're going to take $52 off any item over $100 from Sleep Number. Oh, and by the way, their pillows are incredible. Sleep Number beds start at $899.99. And here comes the reveal. In honor of 52 years, 52 years of football's favorite Sunday, Sleep Number is taking $52 off you see what we did there? $52 off any item over a hundred bucks from sleep number. Visit sleepnumber.com backslash big game to get your $52 coupon now through February 4th. Again, that's sleepnumber.com backslash big game. As someone who's covered this so thoroughly, arguably more than anyone else, what do you think is the most misunderstood or overlooked component of who Chris Christie is in terms of the, in terms of the, the, the scandal itself? No. Uh, I mean, yeah, it could be that as well, but I, I was thinking of 
like Chris Christie as a like he knew you by name. Like he says, you know, Matt in the press conference, um, uh, you've been up, you've seen him up close and in person. Uh, and maybe, you know, he's been out there so much that at this point, it, nothing, there isn't really anything that has been overlooked or, or, or misunderstood. But I was just thinking that when I was done with the podcast, um, recording, uh, one of the notes I had jotted down to ask you was like, I wonder if cats, you know, not that you like sit around and reread your book either, but if there's something that he some, you know, looks back on and thinks, huh, this, this would have, could have been a bigger, bigger deal. Yeah. I mean. I think the part of the reason why the state of New Jersey turned against him and um, it, it, it was not just about Bridgegate. It was about um, the, this uh, sort of naked ambition that it seemed like uh, he didn't care about New Jersey anymore and was just running for president. Um, and, uh, and, and it, made people think that he wasn't an an honest broker with them um, when he had been telling them for years, I, I tell it like it is, I'm a Jersey guy, this is the best job I ever had. Um, and in a, there were a lot of um, stories tangential to Bridgegate that I thought were um, pretty revealing about uh, what kind of administration he ran. And, and one of them that I actually I thought about the other day that um, probably didn't get a ton of attention considering, but, um, he, he had this, uh, report that he had commissioned what was known as the master report for the lead lawyer, Randy Mastro. Uh, and it was thought from the moment he hired these guys, uh, they ended up making about $10 million, um, including money that they had sent to a subcontractor, a digital forensics firm to deal with everybody's emails that most of which we never saw. Um, part of what this, uh, firm, you know, we knew this firm might not be a totally honest broker, given the fact that, uh, Christie was having what he called an independent investigation into Bridgegate. There was a lot of skepticism about it. Randy Mastro had been a deputy mayor, um, to, uh, Rudy Giuliani, a Christie ally. So there were some questions about that. And then the report came out. Um, they didn't interview anybody at the Port Authority, um, right. they slut shamed Bridget Kelly. Uh, they kind of, you know, glossed over certain things. So it was evident, um, that there was whitewashing involved in the actual report. Um, but there was a lawyer, one of the lead authors of the report is a former, uh, U.S. attorney out of California. And this was, again, supposed to be an independent investigation. This was paid for by taxpayers she was a personal friend of Christie's. Uh, I reported how they used to vacation together with their families. Yep. Um, and uh, she had, while this was going on, while the whole Bridgegate scandal was happening, she actually held a fundraiser for Christie for his presidential ca campaign. Oh my and God. then I was at Christie's um victory party, which ended up being, you know, not a victory party, but mm -hmm. it, the party he had on the night of the New Hampshire presidential primary. And who did I see sipping a vodka and orange juice by the <laughs> bar, but the same woman, Deborah Wong Yang, who had supposedly written this independent uh, report that essentially exonerated Christie of any wrongdoing in Bridgegate. 
it's just the the, the cronyism, um, the fact that these people who uh, you know these these insiders getting lucrative paychecks to do you know bogus uh, reports, um, the fact that she, he was paying her with New Jersey taxpayer money, and then she's turning around and giving some money back to his presidential campaign. And it was all tied up in the Bridgegate stuff. It was, it, it I thought it was, uh, it was kind of, it was disappointing as a John Q public, as a, as a part of the public to, to watch that happen. I think it was a story that obviously at that time didn't get much attention, but I thought it, um, I thought it said a lot. It really does. Combo of disgusting. Oh, we should and also note. Oh, we have another update. We have another update. I just realized. Okay, yeah. um, wh- another one of Christie's attorneys, who we never even knew about at the time, but he had this other attorney uh, who was being retained by the state. Um, he didn't actually even have an official retention agreement with this guy because otherwise we would have known about it. So he was working off the books for the state of New Jersey, representing Chris Christie for eleven months before he even signed a contract. Um, him and his uh, people were working every single day. They actually had Chris Christie's cell phone, the one that um, investigators were interested in because of text messages he might have sent during Bridgegate. That guy is now the director of the FBI. Uh, Donald Trump, according to reports, was bored with his search for who to replace his fired FBI director with. And Chris Christie called him one day and recommended this guy, Christopher Ray. Uh, who was his Bridgegate attorney, and the president said okay, and he made this surprise appointment of Christopher Ray as the FBI director. So Chris Christie's Bridgegate attorney is, is now running the the FBI. It's incredible. And he might still have Chris Christie's Bridgegate cell phone. It's incredible. It's incredible. It really <laughs> is. You just, I mean, I've said it a million times with this on this top. It's just you couldn't make this stuff up. You couldn't make this up. Yeah. It's funny how the unknown in history changes things. It's just when Trump comes along and you've pointed this out in your articles and in different things that it's like there's a pre-Trump and a post-Trump. I mean, pre-Trump, Christie's a total original. Post-Trump, he's just kind of like, you know, just you could say he's understated compared to, I mean, he is understated compared to Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Does Matt Katz have any weird journalism? One thing that I've learned uh, the last few months uh, is just j- different journalists have these very interesting, which shouldn't surprise me that much, but interesting approaches or little tricks of the trade, so to speak. Jonathan Eag, who did the Muhammad Ali book, uh, has this thing where he goes on eBay and looks for uh, Ali, like authentic uh, Ali uh, photos or essays or, or things. That, and I just thought that was so, I never thought of that, like going on eBay to track down original items. Tina Brown talks about how she never, she actually doesn't really love going to parties or lunch lunches. Um, but that's where you often get quote unquote scoops. Uh, I guess that one isn't as original as eBay, but, uh, I was curious if, if, uh, there's anything you've done that's a little bit out of the ordinary. I, I uh, signed up for Ancestry.com and <laughs> used that as a means of um, tracing Chris, Christie's family tree back like six generations to his ancestors who, who uh, came here from, from Germany and Scotland um, in the 1800s. Um, 
it was almost like I was Chris Christie, but I wasn't, but I was using it as a tool. So did you um, sign I, up I, as Chris Christie? You were purporting to be Christie? I don't know. Is this uh I mean, I signed up as myself, <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I oh, so you paid can do for that. it. So it was me, mm-hmm. but I, I use I, I I didn't look for my own family. Um, I you I was able. How did I exactly do it? I used the, you know, his information that I knew uh, to build out a family tree. Good for you uh, of himself. Um, and I actually gave gave him a copy of it because um, I thought it'd be interesting to him. I'm sure I found stuff that he didn't know. I bet. So did he thank you? Although he did not. Yeah. Damn, jeez. <laughs> Circling back to one question, what about Christy the person do you think is is perhaps misunderstood or overlooked? Or do you think it's he's he's kind of characterized accurately in 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 the scope of of uh media and the public? I think he's um I mean I haven't spoken to him in almost two years. So I I he stopped speaking to me after my book came out mm-hmm. and I don't know why, but, um, my, my sense is that he's, um, he, he's changed, uh, in some respects that he has, is, is something of a, of a different person, a different politician, um, different ideologically, um, than he used to be. And, um, you know, maybe, Hey, the, those are those things are hard to characterize in media reports, um, but I, I think that might be part of what's what's happened over over the years, um, and I'm not exactly exactly sure why. But he seems to me to be something of a little a bit a bit different from from when I from when I covered him so closely. I mean, here's a guy who um, when he appoint he appointed a. Uh, a Muslim judge, and then when uh, the right wing, the far right, criticized him for it, saying this guy was going to implement Sharia law in New Jersey courtrooms, um, Chris Christie got up there and called called them crazies. He called the the far right crazies, um, and uh, that ideology represented today by the alt right um, was is the base of Donald Trump's su- support, and that's who uh, Christie got behind immediately, Donald Trump, for president, and has um, never criticized him for any of the sort of uh, similarly uh, bigoted statements that have come out of the Trump camp um, since. So um, I, I, I can only guess that, that things have changed, changed for him in, in some ways, and maybe that's not uh, fully appreciated uh, by those of us in the media. And it sounds like you're saying changed in becoming either even more shrewd politically or even more right wing uh, or both. He's not the same sort of like, yeah, no, he's just not a idiosyncratic, um, uh, unique, tell it like it is Mm -hmm. style politician as he as he had uh, presented himself as in the beginning of his gubernatorial career. Right. Um. I mean, he was unique. He was he had this unique personality, and now he he didn't know what he was going to say. You didn't know who 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 he was going to go after from which party, um, and now you know that he's going to avoid criticizing the president um, as much as he can. So, uh, David Wildstein, the Lone Wolf, 
you've been following him on on Twitter. He's you, you were saying he's he's taken kind of an active. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it. He's been active on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. He's he's basically uh, resurrected his pre uh, Christie administration, pre Bridgegate uh, personality, which was knowing all these arcane but interesting and salient facts about New Jersey politics. And he has a really fascinating Twitter feed now if you're somebody who follows New Jersey politics. I mean, he 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 comes up with all of these stats and information and data. Uh, I don't know where he gets it from. I mean, he, he tweeted the other day about the percentage of New Jersey legislators who are older than uh, <laughs> the mandatory retirement ages for judges in New Jersey. So in other words... 25% of legislators are older than I think 70, I think is the mandatory retirement age for judges. And yet uh -huh. they're still working. So a quarter of our legislators in New Jersey are too old to be judges, but are able to make laws. That's kind of a, you know, fascinating fact. I don't know if he like, you know, looked up everybody's date of birth and then did the calculations. I don't know if he already had that at his disposal. <laughs> um, it, it just adds to the intrigue surrounding surrounding him. I also find it amazing that he got the pure at Wildstein Twitter handle, mm. uh, which indicates to me he probably has been sitting on this Twitter handle for as long as Twitter's been around. Which is very Wally Edge of him, in fact. Totally. Uh, very Wally Edge of him. Absolutely. To your point, I, I, now that I just pulled it up, I was, uh, during the World Series, I, I'm following him on Twitter as well, and I, uh, I saw... A tweet from him that is just so to your what you're saying. Uh, New Jersey Democrat governor candidates have a six to five advantage in years where there's a game seven of the World Series. <laughs> and I, I I did a retweet or whatever and added um, the lone wolf or Wildstein always crunching numbers in politics and baseball. Um, so you're Absolutely. right. Uh, he'll be an important source uh, in the 2018 congressional elections because there, New Jersey is going to be something of a battleground state. There's a, a several competitive races here and he knows how to like drill down into precincts and towns hmm. and look at like who controls the city council and what that might mean for turnout of Democrats in this particular polling precinct, in this particular town, in this county, on this, you know, midterm election. So um, he's, he's something, he's a resource, oddly enough. Uh, and it is strange that that's the case, but he is. That's such an amazing, I hadn't thought of that, but really if you're a Democrat, Republican, whatever, and you're putting together your staff, I guess you don't yeah. hire him because he's a criminal, but boy, does he have a, like you just said, a lot of information and resources that would be helpful. Yeah. You could see why, uh, Chris Christie hired him in the first place. Yeah. There we go. All right, dude. Thanks so much for your time. Sure. Andrew. Thank you very much. So I travel quite a bit. Uh, I go on different speaking engagements and talk at colleges, business conventions, you name it. I, I really love telling stories about the documentaries I've made. And some of these are on the more funny side. When I was in India shooting a documentary, nobody told me that in India, shaking your head to say no, actually there means yes. So everywhere, if I asked a question, everyone seemed to be turning me down. Like I'd go to a restaurant and they were open. The place was crowded. 
but they'd say that they weren't taking any customers. So it took me a few days to catch on, and clearly I hadn't done my research. It was a reminder that if you want respect, you really got to show respect. And uh, that shows when you're putting in the time to understand not just a person that you're filming or documenting, but or documenting, but where that person is from, their customs and culture. And when I'm filming, uh, the people that I follow often ask how to use the camera that I'm working with. And I do my best to explain. These days, I'll if someone asks me, I'll give them a 101, but I'll also tell them, uh, and I've done this quite a bit recently, to go to Skillshare because, and Skillshare didn't tell me to say this, but I think they're really smart uh, when it comes to the intersection of the arts and business, including social media and always changing technology as it relates to today's market. And yeah, it even it includes the basics even, like how to shoot on an iPhone. Skillshare is essentially an online learning platform. They have over 18,000 classes. And right now, this is the whole reason that I, I went through this story for you about India and iPhones and everything is that for my listeners only, you're going to get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. I didn't know that people made deals for 99 cents anymore. So Skillshare is offering what really happened listeners two months of unlimited access to over 18,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash WRH. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash WRH to start your two months right now. That's Skillshare.com slash WRH. So thanks again to Matt Katz for joining us and giving us uh, some of his time. I next speak with Sal Rizzo. And you'll see I'm, I'm kind of infatuated with his job at the Washington Post. He covered uh, New Jersey politics for years. Uh, he was a government accountability reporter for the Star-Ledger and then the Bergen Record, covering budgets, state courts, Christie's presidential campaign, and seven years of his governorship. I love Sal because I love a good fact checker. First off, I'm just really curious, and and then we'll get to it, but how does one become a fact checker? We could use some <laughs> fact checking. I, I, I still don't really know how I got this job. I mean, you're a fat <laughs> Sal, just to be clear. I mean, you are a fact checker at the Washington post. That is. So it's not, yeah, it's not the traditional uh, concept of a fact checker. You know, the New Yorker, for example, has fact checkers who are not reporters. They uh, look at stories and they review every ascertainable fact. Uh, and they call people, they, they basically re-report the story to make sure that, uh, you know, it's ironclad. I, what I do, what we do at the Washington Post is different. Uh, we, there's a section of the website that's called the Fact Checker, and some of what we publish sometimes goes in print. Uh, and it's uh, three reporters, and we basically are taking a look at, uh, you know, statements made by President Trump, by congressional leaders, both parties, by groups like the NRA, or, you know, Blue Wave or something like that. Um, and we are testing the veracity, you know, of what these people are saying. And we write, you know, sort of like uh, uh, an analysis of uh, whether, you know, we believe that the facts support what they're saying or not. And we issue a ruling at the end, you know, on a scale of one to four Pinocchios, how, uh, you know, true or false the statement is. So you're fact-checking public figures? Mostly, yes. 
Now, Christy said, uh, I think in this interview, quote, telling it like it is and my personality still works with the people of the state. Uh, there, There's 14 or 15 percent of the people who still like him, according to public polling. So to the extent that he's only talking about those people, what he said is true. Uh, but a much greater number, uh, you know, something like 78 percent uh, disapprove of his job performance and became very disillusioned with him, according to these same polls. And it's all the polls. It's not just one or two over, you know, cherry picking just like one bad month for a year. You know, he's been hovering, you know, or longer or a little bit longer than a year between 18 percent, 14 percent. He goes up to 17. He goes back to 15 percent. Quinnipiac. University, a very reliable and trustworthy poll, for example, yeah. they will tell you that he is uh, he is the most disliked governor, the least uh, favorably viewed governor since the advent of polling in the 11 states that they poll. That's right. right? Monmouth University, which is the gold standard in New Jersey, same thing. Uh, they haven't polled as widely, but he takes the cake by far. He uh, also said that he doesn't think that Trump gets enough credit, quote, for the fact that he's really been fair. He has been very fair to Bob Mueller. Sal? There's two ways to look at this one. Um, Trump is out there on Twitter calling the special counsel's investigation a witch hunt being run by the most conflicted and bad people. That I'm not sure Christy saw the tweet or... Um, maybe it got lost in the shuffle of, you know, I mean, a, a hundred things that come out every day, you know, covering the Trump White House. But the president is on record with pretty harsh words for this whole investigation. And the reporting over the last few months has borne out that, you know, they don't think, um, you know, they're being fairly targeted. I think that's safe to say. Christie said that there was no um, hub hubbub. Uh, over New Jersey transit funding until a deadly train crash in Hoboken in September 2016. He said you could even corroborate it uh, checking the clips. Yeah, I, I remember when I went to work at the Star-Ledger covering the State House and the governor's office, that this was, I started January 26, 2011. And since then, there have been news articles about engine transit being underfunded, think tanks, you know, in the state, and in the area, like regionally, uh, have uh, constantly been banging the drum about the need for more money. Uh, obviously, New Jersey Transit commuters, if any of them are listening, uh, knew all too well the frequent delays, you know, the sea of people, you know, who get stuck in some of these stations in New York when they're trying to commute, when there's a breakdown or there's a problem with the tracks. Um, a lot of that can be traced back to uh, you know, some management deficiencies some capital funding shortages at NJ Transit. Uh, and a lot of it has been on the record uh, way before this train crash in September 2016. In uh, 2014, Christie announces that he's uh, reneging on billions of dollars he promised through legislation to replenish the pension funds. Mm-hmm. Um, did he end up flip-flopping on that? Yes, uh, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but um, the the most important part, and certainly, you know, one of the most vaunted parts of the pension legislation that he signed in his first term in 2011, was this guarantee that the state was going to 
over seven years, return to full funding every year of the pension uh, obligations, right, from the state budget. Mm. It's a huge amount. You know, if, he, if the state had made a full contribution this fiscal year, it would have been $5 billion. Instead, the state made only what it could afford, which was 50% or $2.5 billion. Mm-hmm. But if Chrissy had adhered to his original plan, the state would have paid the $5 billion. It might have been a different number because he would have been putting more money earlier. But the state would be making a 100% payment this year as Christie left office, mm-hmm. right? And the, and the state presumably, at, you know, because it had reached 100%, would have stabilized its finances to the point where it was successfully keeping up with its pension payments. Not entirely unlike, uh, you know, uh, uh, catching up to your credit card debt, right? Oh, right Let's say right, you have right. a, a huge balance. You're suffering for a few months. You manage to pay down. You know, you, you work on a plan, you manage to pay it down, and then you start keeping afloat of your credit card debt. That's what he promised. That's the promise he broke. And that's what's not happening right now. The, the issue uh, here with the pension is that when you describe it as reform, and it's not just Christie, a lot of journalists, uh, you know, who have been summarizing his legacy mm. often fall into this, uh, you know, themselves. And it's a pratfall. It really is. But if you use the word reform, that has a positive connotation. But the key part of the reform that Christie once wanted so much, once bragged about, you know, he went on the Today Show. He, uh, it was very much part of the, uh, you know, uh, drumbeat for him to run for president was this magnificent pension legislation that he had signed. And the key part, you know, was thrown out the window three years later. And the state pension fund is still uh, very uh, troubled because there's no funding mechanism. In terms of Chris Christie's political acumen, him as a politician, mm-hmm. uh, you know, looking at someone like Bill Clinton, who's just a straight talent, talented politician. I think most people would say that. Yes. What, what, where do you put Chris Christie on, on? How would you describe him as a politician? I think the Clinton comparison is very apt to be honest with you. Okay. Um, he, he has a magnetism. You know, he is preternaturally a funny guy, a charismatic guy, right. someone who can hold a room without any effort, right? Someone who can confidently take the podium and answer two hours of questions from the press in an age where, you know, politics has become so scripted. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of officials, the governor elect of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, Mm. Is, is I think allergic to the press. Like he runs from questions, he runs right. from reporters. Um, and w- you may not always get, you know, with your fact checking, Christy, you may not always get, you know, uh, a solid erudite answer. Uh, and you may not always get an answer, you know, period. But uh, with Christy, there has always been that sort of gregariousness that, you know, and he's often bragged about it too. You know, it's been part <laughs> of his, you know, political persona for so long. That makes him stand out. And I think he's a shrewd political tactician, too. You know, things did not break his way when he finally decided to run for president. Mm -hmm. But for a long time, you know, we were covering him in New Jersey. I was there covering him seven years. For a long time, it seemed like he was making all the right moves and that he had made all the right connections and alliances with financial backers and uh, hired all the right people uh, and uh, had cultivated his image you know, uh, very ably in the media. Um, so, you know, unfortunately what happened is New Jersey has so many uh, problems that he, over two terms, you know, was not able to um, really um, 
incredibly fixed or, you know, I mean, it's tough. He's a Republican. He mm-hmm. couldn't raise taxes because it would hurt him when he was running for president. And right. at the same time, the root of the problems in New Jersey are a lack of money for a lot of the programs that you know people care about. In your seven years covering him, is there a moment, better or worse, uh, that you that you had with him that that sticks out? Um, like personally, I, I can't think of any. You know, I I I tried to keep my reporting you know, just straight down the middle and as impersonal as possible. I never had a sit down interview with him. We spoke once over the phone, one-on-one over property taxes. Um, but I enjoyed, uh, you know, he, he is a very, uh, he's a very smart and uh, lawyerly guy. And I enjoyed the back and forth at his news conferences a lot. Well, Sal, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Um, and getting back to us so soon. Um, there's one quote. Yeah. I guess this was his long, yeah, it was the January 9th one. Uh, I guess they were all from the January 9th one um, where he says, I had no knowledge or involvement in the issue in its planning or its execution. I'm stunned by the abject stupidity that was shown here. Mm-hmm. That's much better when it comes from him. Um, what were some of the things that came out in the trial that corroborated or did not with what he's saying? So this is, um, uh, you know, part of the reason I think this trial was so frustrating for the governor is that both the prosecution and the defense, the weight of the evidence they presented was that Christie did know to some extent and uh, and by some accounts ordered this or authorized it. Right. And this directly contradicts what he's been saying for years uh, consistently since the scandal kind of broke into public view. Mm-hmm. Um, the prosecution. Uh, had David Wildstein, who was the architect of Bridgegate, the guy who orchestrated these lane closures and bought them up uh, as its star witness. And uh, consistently, the prosecution stood behind David Wildstein and uh, asserted that everything he was saying on the stand was true. Uh, And so David Wildstein testified that Christie was told about the lane closures while they were going on at a September 11 memorial event at Ground Zero, uh, and that Christie laughed. Uh, which indicated, you know, according to this testimony, you know, that he was in on it, that he sort of knew that uh, these associates of his were punishing the Fort Lee mayor for not endorsing his reelection in 2013. And you can and, see them laughing in the photos, too. Well, it's unclear whether that's exactly what they're laughing about. But yes, of course, the images go hand in hand, you know, and it's hard when there's a photo of that, you know, to, to mm-hmm. separate. And that's what it would have looked like. And that's the event. That's where they were. And those were the people. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, then you take someone like Bill Baroni, and he said, okay, because Wildstein testified that Baroni said this to Christie, and that Christie laughed. Mm-hmm. And then Baroni says that Wildstein said it to Christie. So either way, you know, he's being told at this event, right. the two of them. And then Bridget Kelly, who was along with Baroni and Wildstein, the third person who was convicted, mm-hmm. she says that she told Christie a month before in his office, and uh, that Christie told her to run it by the man who was the chief of staff of his office at that time, Kevin, no doubt. So, you know, this is, this is just wildly different. No matter whom you believe uh, out of all these people who testified, you know, it's not what Christie said. It contradicts him on this key question. Incredible. Um, but he wasn't charged. Story. You know, the U S attorney no, never, I, yeah. him, never called him to testify and said, basically said that they could not find evidence uh, that would prove his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt when he, they were asked about it. All right, man. Well, thanks so much. Congratulations thanks on the lot. new gig. I appreciate it.
Anyone who listens to this show knows that I have a bizarre infatuation with quotes. Orson Welles has this great tongue-in-cheek quote uh, saying, ask not what you can do for your country, ask what's for lunch. Or Oscar Wilde, after a good dinner, one can forgive anybody. George Bernard Shaw said, there is no love sincerer than the love of food. Creative people, historical figures, I mean, what am I talking about? Most everyone appreciates good food. In a divided country in which we disagree about so much, can we at least agree on one thing? That the hoppy cheddar sauce on a pretzel bun that Blue Apron makes is more delicious than anything, than my normal cravings for Carvel cake or even Little Vincent's pizza on the Upper East Side. Now I know, I've thought the same thing. Does Blue Apron finance every podcast in the world? I don't know. And I don't care. Because food is food. I love food. So when Cadence 13 told me Blue Apron was interested in sponsoring the show, I approved immediately because I haven't just had that hoppy cheddar sauce on a pretzel bun. But many of the incredible options. Strip steaks with potatoes and the spicy maple collard greens is probably up there for me. It's convenient. Each meal can be cooked in under 45 minutes and flexible. Blue Apron offers 12 new recipes each week. And now Blue Apron is treating what really happened to listeners, all of you, to $30 off your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash WRH. So check out this week's menu. I'm telling you, it's great food. And get your $30 off at blueapron.com slash W-R-H, Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So a crucial component to our podcast, uh, really at the core of, of what we're trying to do, is uh, continue a conversation about these different historical events. Uh, I hope that didn't come across too earnest. Uh, we had, with our episodes in season one, thousands of people who had questions and or comments on social media our website, and the number that all of you listeners can call into and leave messages. We got this one call. Well, we got a lot of calls. Some of them, most of them, I'd say 90% of them were very nice. I'm very grateful for a small percentage. As always, you know, there's a class clown in the, in the group that's got to think they're being clever and it's really not. This call from Phil, who lives in New Jersey, was great, spot on, and I try and address it uh, after we play his message. Uh, hey, uh, it's, it's uh, Phil. Great, great show. Great podcast. Um, just listen to the Chris Christie uh, story. Very interesting. But I, I thought you were actually going to go in a different direction. Rumor had it that that another reason for the retribution was in terms of who was going to profit most from the erection of two apartment buildings that were right near the George Washington Bridge that was going up called the Modern, and that the mayor may have, or others may have, elected a different party to either do the construction or the loans or something, and that this was retribution through Christie to actually spoil the project, and that it would make it so people wouldn't want to live there because they would see the kind of traffic that could occur in the Fort Lee area. So 
I mean, it sort of doesn't make sense to me why you would want to punish a mayor simply because uh, by just having some traffic for a week. That, that just sort of seems silly. But the far greater effect would be that no one would want to live there because of the traffic. And that was occurring at around the time that this apartment complex was either being built or being advertised. Take a look at that as well. So Phil here makes a really good point. And if you were to look up Chris Christie, uh, Mayor Mark, and land development, uh, this issue will come up extensively. Phil is spot on. Uh, there's a lot to be said about what the mayor of Fort Lee was and is building uh, in this particular one area where there are, I think, two 47-floor towers uh, there's also a movie theater that's been built, I think called the Barrymore Film Center. Uh, and it was such an issue that when Mayor Mark was trying to reach out to Bill Baroni during Bridgegate, uh, he had even written um, something to the effect of, uh, what do I do when our billion-dollar redevelopment is put online at the end of next year? And so Mayor Mark asked that in a text or an email to uh, Phony Baroni. And then the following came out in an article after Mayor Mark took the stand when he testified uh, that he was lying in a November 2013 letter to the editor of the Newark Star Ledger. In that letter, Mayor Mark said that he did not believe the GW Bridge Lane closures had been an act of political retribution. However, his statements um, in court walked that back. Uh, during testimony, the mayor said he felt all along that the closures came as a result of his failure to endorse Governor Christie for reelection. Uh, but, quote, I was petrified of further retribution. Uh, I'm not proud of what I did. And essentially saying that he was afraid that they would uh, create havoc in the redevelopment process and uh, didn't want that to happen. So thank you to Phil for uh, calling in and bringing this to our attention. Thank you to everyone who's called in or left messages or hit me up on Twitter at Andrew Jenks. As always, we greatly appreciate it. So where does this chapter close? Where is Chris Christie now? Well, we'll see. By the time you're listening to this, maybe it's changed. But as of now, Chris Christie is waiting in line. I'm going to call this line gate. According to CBS News, Christie was stopped from cutting past a security checkpoint at Newark Airport in Jersey last week. The former gov, who still has a member of a state police protection detail with him, tried going through a VIP access area. The Associated Press reported that a Port Authority Airport police officer and a TSA officer told the two to go to the regular screening line where all the other passengers go. Funny, of course, that it was the Port Authority that told him to get in line. The Port Authority being the same group that Christie used to orchestrate Bridgegate. If his high school classmate and Bridgegate mastermind, David Wildstein, a.k.a. the Lone Wolf, was still in charge and not in Florida after making a deal with the FBI, perhaps the former gov wouldn't have gotten stuck in airport line traffic. But times are changing. Christie took to Twitter and explained as much as one can with two tweets 
that the reporting was false and he wasn't looking to skip any lines. Hmm. I wonder, what really happened? That is all for this week's reaction episode. A big thanks to the team here at Cadence 13, Chris Corcoran, Bill Schultz, John McDermott, Chris Flannery, Chris Colbert, Pam Kramer, Josephina Francis, Kurt Courtney, Seven Bucks Productions, and Jones Works. And with season two coming just around the corner, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, What Really Happened. Next week, a reaction episode with some phenomenal guests. As we look back at the Britney Spears episode that captured her 2007 media-manufactured train wreck, I speak with the actor Britney Snow, also the paparazzi photographer who took many of the famous photos of Spears during that time in her life, a lawyer who specializes in conservatorships, and listener feedback. That's all next week on What Really Happened. Be sure to subscribe. <laughs>